God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. He must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, you know, we're going to be covering uh, the Arizona audit. And uh, we're going to listen to some things that Kelly Ward has to say. We're also going to be talking about Dr. Fauci and a lot of what uh, has been going on with Dr. Fauci because... Um, you know, we're we're living in a world that's being uh, dictated by pharmace pharma, you know, medical, you know, our scientists trust the scientists. They tried to pull this off with climate change, and of course, we know how that didn't work out for them. And now they're looking at COVID and uh, all these other things. Not new news. We've been talking about this for a long time, but. You know, it's worth, when, when it starts to get humorous, when it starts to get comical, like almost as comical as, say, O.J. Simpson endorsing Liz Cheney, says she's a stand-up person uh, for the truth. When O.J. Simpson endorses you, you know you're in trouble, right? That's uh, the Liz Cheney, quick, quick Liz Cheney uh, tidbit there. But there's a guy that's actually going around and he's... um doing a really great impersonation of Dr. Fauci. But then we're going to play a Tucker Carlson uh, account of Dr. Fauci because we find ourselves in a place where nothing's adding up, right? The elections didn't add up. The Kentucky Derby, for crying out loud, didn't add up. Um, all of these different things aren't adding up. And we have to get to the bottom of it. You know, we have to figure out where our grounds are to fight back. We're a nation of laws. We know that if we go out of our door with our gun, we're going to get shot and killed or arrested and our lives will be ruined. We understand what's at play here. We know we could beat them with our own bare hands. We know that we could win with our numbers in a democracy 
in our republic. I mean, we have enough votes, but we know that there's rigging going on. So where and how do they get to that point? How do they get to the point where they have an answer for every one of our wins? It's because in, in, in some part, it's because where we've been spending so much time, and I said this back in the election season, I said where Trump's team is putting together speeches and putting together great analysis and putting together a great America First agenda to make America great again, and to pack the stadiums and put up the screens and to show everybody a good time. That's not easy, folks. It wasn't easy. Doing five rallies a day was not easy for Donald Trump at 74 years old. Wasn't 73 or 74 years old. Wasn't easy. And Joe Biden sitting there in his basement with masks on doing teleconferences, reading off of prompters. And when he does show the light of day, people heckle him and he can't even fill three circles in a gymnasium or on a lawn. And yet somehow we're to believe he got 81 million votes. We know that's not true. And we know it's not true because we have the facts on our side. We have empirical data on our side. We also have a lot of smoke and mirrors that we're witnessing with Dominion and what's going on in Arizona. Chuck Grassley, for example, you know, said, what's going on with all the, you know, all the concern out in just because the Republican Senate out in Arizona wants to just double check that everything was correct. If everything, you know, what's the problem? What are you worried about? The people that are objecting themselves said, even if there was a recount or an audit, typically those things only add up to about a couple of hundred votes. So they shouldn't have anything to worry about. Sidney McCain shouldn't have anything to worry about. But yet she calls it ludicrous. And all these other people are are saying it's nonsense. Republicans included. The rhinos that like the power that they feel they're entitled to. And they keep going with this. And all we want to do is find the truth. So that's the... And by the way, uh, there's a report that I'm going to be getting into today from 2015 where China was on record as saying that they wanted to use COVID as a weapon in 2015. Would have been called COVID-15, not not COVID-19. So listen to this, though. When you, you know, the guy that's in control and in charge of everything, who was the guy that hired him? Pence. Pence hired Fauci and Burks and CDC's Redfield. And the CDC now is in charge of our country. And they're connected with patents and USAID and slush funds and corruption. 
Since when does the CDC, it's not even a government agency, really. It's kind of separated, but funded by the government. But they're autonomous. Almost like the FBI is autonomous. That's what gives them the privilege and the right to actually investigate the president of the United States. Just ask Nixon. So these government institutions, they go rogue. You always find them in liberal cities like Atlanta, CDC's headquarters. You always find them in D.C., Atlanta, all these liberal institutions. And where is their direct connection? Where is their direct lineage? From the universities, the tenured professors, and all their little tea parties. And I'm not talking about taxed enough already. I'm talking about, you know, the privileged ivory tower tower elite that you cannot fire because you're tenured. But you'll never get tenured if you're a conservative. That's why the club is so uniquely 98% liberal. And I do see... uh, Terry wrote in, not Rhino anymore. It's the uni party. Yeah, that's true. He's saying, he's suggesting, and it's always been, it's been this way for a long time, really. Where, yeah, you basically have the Republicans and the Democrats playing cricket together or uh, racket, spending time at the racket club and drinking their scotch and smoking their cigars at their elite clubs that are so expensive that nobody could ever afford to go in except for the elite. And although you may be able to afford to go in, why would you ever want to spend 1200 bucks to smoke a cigar and have a couple of scotches? No one in their right mind would do that. But let's take a listen to this guy, Tyler Fisher. Really great, great rendition. Parody. On Dr. Fauci. I'd say even if you live alone, I would wear a mask in the house, especially in the shower, because frankly, droplets can make the way through the drain and come up through somebody else's toilet, infecting them with COVID through the anus. Uh, Ballpark in two to five to 20 years, we can start thinking about considering the idea of pondering the thought of conceptualizing the possibility of maybe perhaps reopening, but probably not. I would avoid having any fun whatsoever in the near to far future. (laughs) I'd say even if you live alone, I would wear a mask in the house especially in the shower, because... (laughs) That's so funny. But yeah, we've all heard Fauci talk like that. He never gives one positive prognosis. He never gives anything definitive. Rand Paul is pulling his curly hair out. Rand Paul is just pulling his hair out. He's basically saying, can we pin you down on anything? Can you say anything definitively? Because anybody could sit there and say it's going to be two to five to 20 years. 
that we'll never be able to handshake again. Oh, good news. You know, uh, some things happen and we can handshake. The easiest thing to say is you'll never be able to do this or that again. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous that this guy is in charge of everything. And that's what brings me uh, major concern. And I want to listen to Tucker Carlson because the people that are in charge don't even, they're not even scientists. That's the, that's the trouble with the whole thing. So let's take a listen to this. How do we assess the Biden administration's response to COVID? Well, here's one marker. It tells you pretty much everything that the White House that is supposedly so committed to science chose as its head COVID coordinator, a man with no background at all in science or medicine. His name is Jeffrey Zients. Zients ran Joe Biden's presidential transition team. That's his qualification. He's a former management consultant from Bain who sat on the board of Facebook. Jeffrey Zients is a political operative. That's who's overseeing COVID response for Joe Biden. The good news is because Jeffrey Zients is not even close to being an actual scientist, he doesn't talk like one. Occasionally, he says things whose significance the rest of us can understand clearly. Listen to Jeffrey Zients from CNN yesterday, and it becomes very clear how the White House understands this pandemic. Watch. The light at the end of the tunnel is brighter and brighter. Let's keep up our guard. Let's follow the CDC guidance. And the CDC guidance across time will allow vaccinated people more and more privileges to take off that mask. There it is. The CDC guidance across time will allow vaccinated people more and more privileges to take off that mask, end quote. A sentence like that raises so many questions, it's kind of hard to know where to start. But how about here? If vaccines work, why are any vaccinated people wearing masks ever anywhere? Seriously, Jeffrey Zients should be required to explain that slowly and with numbers so the rest of us who didn't serve on the board of Facebook can understand. No one's asked him to explain that, of course, so he hasn't. Nor has anyone asked Jeffrey Zients just how effective masks are at preventing the spread of COVID-19. Our public health authorities act as though masks are absolutely critical. But are they absolutely critical? Where are the serious studies that prove that? Do they exist? If they do exist, is there a reason they're being hidden from the rest of us? And finally, when did masklessness become a privilege? For thousands of years, until about 12 months ago, masklessness was the global status quo. Virtually everyone on Earth lived without masks. That was not considered weird. Masks were weird. They were unhealthy and menacing. Yet Jeffrey Zients has just informed us that things have changed. Going forward, not wearing a mask, even after you've been vaccinated, is, quote, a privilege. A Scooby snack, a gold star, a pat on the head that may or may not be granted to you exclusively by the Democratic Party on the basis of no science, but purely because they're in charge and you're not. And that's called public health. And it's absolutely critical to the existence of our species that you comply with it reflexively without asking questions or thinking about it. And this will all continue, Jeffrey Zients explained, quote, across time. What does that mean exactly? How long will this terrifyingly irrational exercise continue? For the answer to that question, we go now to a man even more partisan than Jeffrey Zients. Here's the nation's most highly credentialed political operative, Tony Fauci, letting you know that actually this mask thing is never going to end. But is the mask going to be something we have with us in a seasonal aspect? 
You know, that's quite possible. I think people have gotten used to the fact that wearing masks, clearly, if you look at the data, diminishes respiratory diseases. So it is conceivable that as we go on a year or two or more from now, that during certain seasonal periods, mm -hmm. when you have respiratory-borne viruses like the flu, people might actually elect to wear masks to diminish the likelihood that you'll spread these respiratory-borne diseases. A year or two or more from now. In other words, never. You're never taking off the mask. Get ready for a lifetime of filthy, wet cotton covering your mouth, reduced oxygen flow to your brain, and a world where every stranger looks the same because no one has a face. When Kamala Harris and her husband kissed the other day while wearing masks, they were giving you a preview of your daughter's wedding. In a masked world, human beings never really touch each other. Is that public health? No, it's not public health. It's a kind of punishment. Tony Fauci is punishing the country, you, us, everyone. The question is, why is he doing that? Maybe he likes it. That's possible. But you've got to think that at least part of Tony Fauci's authoritarian germ hysteria is a cover for something else. Could it be that Tony Fauci is trying to divert attention from himself and his own personal role in the COVID-19 pandemic? Now, what do we mean by that? We cannot recommend more strongly a new piece by Nicholas Waite, who for more than 50 years has one, been one of the preeminent science writers in the world. For 30 years, Nicholas Wade worked for the New York Times. He edited the science section there. But this piece did not run in the New York Times. It ran on Medium. And the piece explains where this virus almost certainly came from. In it, Nicholas Wade makes it clear that more than any other single living American, Tony Fauci is responsible for the COVID-19 pandemic. Wade lays out a nearly insurmountably large amount of evidence that this virus originated at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in central China. It seemed to make sense this show and others had raised the possibility from the early days of the pandemic. But this piece all but proves it. At the time the outbreak began last fall, the Wuhan lab was conducting experiments on how to make bat viruses infectious to human beings. Those experiments were funded by American tax dollars. Those experiments were, their funding, approved and directed by Tony Fauci in Washington. By Tony Fauci. That is hard to believe, but it's true, and the piece lays it out. Many of the Wuhan experiments fell under the direction of a Chinese researcher called Shi Zheng Li, known as the Bat Lady. She was China's leading expert on bat-borne viruses. Her job was to genetically engineer coronaviruses so that they infect human beings and do so as easily as possible. This work, Nicholas Wade notes, involved, quote, doing gain-of-function experiments designed to make coronavirus infect human cells. Now, why was this research going on? You'll have to ask the scientists who did it. But the fact remains, these were some of the most dangerous experiments ever conducted by mankind. And yet we know that China was not taking necessary safety precautions, and we should not be surprised by that. Several years ago, American diplomatic cables warned about low and lax standards at the Wuhan lab. In fact, the Wuhan facility was classified as a biosafety level two laboratory. What does that mean? Well, according to Richard Ebright, who's a molecular biologist at Rutgers, that is approximately the same level of safety that you would find in a dentist's office in America. So that lab conducting research experiments on the coronavirus and how to make it transmissible to human beings resulted almost certainly in the infection of a lab researcher and the virus spread from there. 
The first coronavirus patients, in fact, did not come from the so-called wet market, as we heard. That was a lie. The first patients of the coronavirus, in fact, were employees at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, at the lab. So once again, why would the Wuhan lab be conducting experiments like that in the first place? Well, we know that Tony Fauci had authorized payment for the research. For five years, from 2014 to 2019, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which Tony Fauci runs and has for decades, pumped money to a group called the EcoHealth Alliance. The EcoHealth Alliance is run by a man whose name you may recognize, Dr. Peter Daszak. Daszak contracted with Dr. Xi to conduct gain-of-function experiments at the Wuhan lab. Just before the pandemic became public knowledge, on December 9th, 2019, Peter Daszak sat for an interview that was streamed online. In that interview, Daszak bragged about how easy it is to manipulate coronaviruses in lab experiments. Coronaviruses are pretty good. I mean, neurovirologists, you know all this stuff, but they, you can um, manipulate them in the lab pretty easily. It's yeah. just spike protein drives a lot of what happens with the yeah. coronavirus, uh, zoonotic risk. So you can get the sequence, you can build the protein, and we work with Ralph Barrick at UNC mm -hmm. to do this. Um, insert it into the backbone of another virus right. and do, do some work in the lab. So just days after that was shot, it became clear that this new version of coronavirus, this novel coronavirus, what we now call COVID-19, was running rampant through Wuhan, then China, and then the world. Since then, since the pandemic began, Peter Daszak, not surprisingly, has appeared on virtually every media platform available to him to deny in the most strenuous and dismissive terms that the Wuhan lab could be in any way linked to the outbreak, since, of course, he has very personal motives for claiming that. Quote, the idea that this virus escaped from a lab is just pure baloney, he said last year. But that was a lie. It's not pure baloney. And a lot of smart people knew that right away. One of those people is Alina Chan, a molecular biologist at the Broad Institute at Harvard and MIT. She bravely wrote a paper about how the coronavirus's genome hadn't changed much over time, and that was odd, because that genome had gone through trillions of replications. According to Chan, that fact implied that the virus was designed for human-to-human -human transmission from the outset. The former director of the CDC also clearly understood this, and he, too, argued that the virus came from the Wuhan lab. I am of the point of view that I still think the most likely uh, etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was a, from a laboratory, um, you know, escaped. Uh, the other people don't believe that. That's fine. Science will eventually figure it out. It's not unusual for respiratory pathogens that are being worked on in a laboratory to infect the laboratory worker. Millions of people have died of COVID-19. So it's not a matter of score settling or bl blame assignment to figure out where it came from. If you want to prevent the next global pandemic, you have to figure out how this one started. And so the World Health Organization said it would get to the bottom of it. The World Health Organization, of course, is beholden to China. And so it tried to hide the basic facts of the origins of this pandemic. And to hide those facts, WHO appointed none other than Peter Daszak as the only America-based representative on the investigative team looking into where the virus came from. In what turned out to be a sham report, that team concluded that it's, quote, extremely unlikely that the virus came from the Wuhan lab. Again, that's not true. The WHO's investigation into the origins of the virus was fraudulent, and that matters to public health globally. 
But one thing you'll notice is that Tony Fauci did not say that. Why? Because once again, he is implicated in it personally. The gain-of-function research that Peter Daszak was bragging about in the video we just showed you had, in fact, been banned explicitly by the U.S. government. There was a federal moratorium on the funding of exactly the kind of of gain-of-function experiments that went on in the Wuhan lab to disastrous effects. So why didn't the U.S. government halt its funding of the lab in Wuhan? That is a central question, and Nicholas Wade, to his great credit, looked into it. And here's what he found. Quote, Someone wrote a loophole into the moratorium. The moratorium specifically barred funding of any gain-of-function research that increased the pathogenicity of the flu, MERS, or SARS viruses. But then a footnote on page two of the moratorium document states that, quote, an exception from the research pause may be obtained if the head of the U.S. government funding agency determines that the research is urgently necessary to protect the public health or national security. And that's exactly the loophole that was exploited. Who signed off on this? Tony Fauci, possibly along with Francis Collins, the director of the NIH, invoked that special exemption in order to keep funding the Wuhan lab and the deadly experiments that were going on there. The experiments that clearly went so wrong. According to Richard Ebright, quote, unfortunately, the NIAID director, that'd be Fauci, and the NIH director exploited this loophole to issue exemptions to projects subject to pause, preposterously asserting that the exempted research was, quote, urgently necessary to protect public health or national security and thereby nullifying the pause. This wouldn't have happened if Tony Fauci didn't allow it to happen. That is clear. It's an amazing story. It is a shocking story. In a functional country, there would be a criminal investigation currently underway into Tony Fauci's role in the COVID pandemic that has killed millions and halted our country and changed it forever. So why isn't there a criminal investigation into Tony Fauci's role in this pandemic? And the answer to that question is an excellent, it's an excellent question. And the answer to that question is the why there isn't an investigation into Peter Daszak, Francis Collins, and Tony Fauci. That is the great question. And the, que- the reason is because it serves a purpose. It helps them win elections. It helps them gain control of population like they never dreamed of under climate change. So Dr. Fauci was the ultimate libtard, the ultimate liberal, the ultimate Democrat, the ultimate socialist, the ultimate communist. He was his far left wing and Pence hired him. What was Pence thinking? I wrote a piece and the Cliff Note ex, uh, excerpt of it basically says Democrats have always supported segregation. Huh. The 21st century version of segregation, another word for segregation is separation. Another word from, you know, separation is 
is isolation. The Democrats have always supported segregation, whether it be through first-class ticketing, ivory tower secret societies, or civil rights legislation based on skin color and quotas. Just look at Black Lives Matter, a Marxist group that generates funding for the Democrat Party. Black Lives Matter? What a joke. So I write this and I say, Democrats have always supported segregation, whether it be through first-class ticketing, ivory tower secret societies, or civil rights legislation based on skin color and quotas. Many argue they were the founders of the KKK. And it's true. Hitler and Stalin subscribed to socialist and communist ideologies. They were basically nationalist socialists. I've said this for years on this show. And Democrats' 21st century version of segregation is advancing strategies for vaccine passports at sporting events, separating fans who have the passport from those who don't. Israel has already implemented this system. You know, the same Israel that was getting bombed by Hamas yesterday and that Ilhan Omar said because they defended themselves, they were terrorists. See, you give a little money to the Palestinians and next thing you know, Hamas gets some of that money. Hezbollah gets some from Iran, you know, because they're Sunni, Hamas, Hezbollah, Shia. In any case, they get some of that funding and next thing you know, missiles start going into Israel. Talk about a mess. They just found a shipment of weapons in the Middle East that were made by Russia, but they were distributed by China. It's a mess in the Middle East ever since the Biden administration took charge. The Democrats' 21st century version of segregation is advancing strategies for vaccine passports as sporting events separating fans who have the passport from those who don't. Israel has already implemented this system. When we see conservative states ban vaccine passports, so when we see conservative states ban vaccine passports, like Montana, like Florida, like so many other states, there's about 12 states, conservative states, that have said, we are going to ban vaccine passports from... Um, from, you know, government. So from from uh, private businesses. What's going to happen if you're flying from Montana to New York? Are you going to get stuck in New York because you don't have a passport? You can't get on a plane? You can fly to New York, but you got to drive back? If you fly to New York, are you going to have a two-week quarantine? 
because they're going to punish you because you didn't get the vaccine. Like I said, you know, anytime you got a vaccine where they're offering you pizza or beer or soda, I mean, they're offering you goodies. Next thing you know, they're going to start paying you to take the vaccine. And they're going to write it off as economically sound principles because once we get to 70%, we can all open up. But like Tucker said in his piece, people with these vaccines are still wearing their stupid doggone masks. So Israel has already implemented this system. When we see conservative states ban vaccine passports from Uh, government and private businesses, it will ultimately mean that conservatives will not be permitted to travel to liberal states or countries without a V-pass. Even ATMs with bioscanners can roll out V-pass requirements. Also, these new mandates will require more dependency on your smartphones at a time when many are wanting to get off the electronic grid altogether. So so basically, I think that the reason why they're buying into Fauci and Fauci's answering to the man is because Fauci has the patents and money is his motivator. He's greedy. He's a little man syndrome kind of guy. He can't throw a baseball. He's a little midget probably got picked on in school. And all of a sudden, baby grown up becomes a Dr. Evil. Mini-me. Austin Powers' nemesis. Becomes this evil creature that goes home to his wife in his big mansion, takes his tie off and says, I'm home, honey. Where's my dinner? And thinks he's the most powerful man in the room. And when he goes to his little soirees with his little country club Ivy, ivory tower friends, he is. People whisper, that's Dr. Fauci, the most powerful man in the room. Dr. Fauci never was treated like that. Never perceived like that. Never considered to be a powerful man like that. This vaccine passport thing is a 21st century segregation. And they're, they're, put, they're designing it. It's falling right into place for them. You're going to have these conservative states that are going to basically say no to vaccine passports. And you're going to have these liberal states that are going to say, yes, we demand them. And How's that? What's that going to do? How's that going to impact travel? What kind of problems is that going to present down the road? And it's almost going to make it useless in one sense. And it's troublesome as to where we're heading as a country. So maybe I fly from Montana to Texas. And maybe I stopped doing business with people in California and New York. So 
next thing you know, I'm doing business in Montana and Idaho and Missouri and Texas and Florida. And I just say, you know, to hell with you people in New York. I can't fly there. You guys got some junky law that says I need a passport. And I'm not sticking some damn vaccine into my arm that I haven't tested. And so the point is, is that we eventually become segregated. And at that point, you might as well just say, you know what, we're going to become two different countries. We can't live like this. I don't know what's in store for us, but countries like Israel and who knows what countries in Europe, is it going to be a European Union thing? What is the European Parliament going to come up with? I don't know, but it's going to be rather significant as to how this breaks down. But part of the utopia from a liberal mindset is this segregation. They love separating people. They, they do it with first class. I remember I was in New York, living there in New York, and there was this concert in the park. And it was supposed to be free, first come, first serve. The first person shows up, they get the best seat. Second person, third. Just like at a Trump rally, right? If you're early, if you camp out overnight, you're going to get one of the best seats in the house. It's the way it works. All of a sudden, there's a VIP section. And next thing you know, all these VIPs walk in. You've been camping out all night. And these VIP liberals walk in, and they get the entire front section of the state, near the stage. How's that fair? Next thing you know, there's no more room for those who showed up near the back. There's no more room. Concert in Central Park, supposed to be free. But it was a liberal city, and of course they adopted liberal rules where they made it some sort of a voucher system. They were still free. It was a still free concert. But now you had to go and somehow figure out how to get the voucher. Hey, I want a voucher. Ah, we're all out of vouchers. But they weren't out of vouchers. They had vouchers for their friends, you see. It wasn't just take your human body and show up and sit yourself down on your blanket, put a little candle out, open up the wine, and enjoy the concert. It wasn't like that anymore. They changed it because that was too easy. They needed to put a regulator into the middle, a broker. The song by Alison Krauss where she says brokers, they break everything. The people that get in the middle of progress break things. And that's what, that's what, that's what Fauci's doing. Fauci got patents. And believe me when I tell you, we've been talking about this for a long time, but Francis Collins is the director of NIH. And I, NIH aid, NIAID, is Dr. Fauci. And this Peter Daszak. And what, what we've been talking about, too, is when the Gateway Pundit came out with it, they were talking about since 2015, this has been going on. There's been... There's been problems since 2015. 
you know, I think, well, maybe it wasn't uh, Gateway Pundit, but what it was, uh, I read this article in preparation for the show, and um, since 2015, they've been studying, Wuhan has been studying this, and that's exactly what's in line. I got banned on Facebook 35, you know, 30 days ago, but I've been on back on for about five days, I guess. And I was banned for 30 days because I reported a study from a Dr. Yan who basically said the same, same, same thing. Same thing. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. So what we're going to do is switch gears and we're going to uh, change over from the Fauci COVID and this whole thing about vaccine passports and segregation. It's the modern day 21st century segregation. We all should be very concerned about it. And we're going to get to the Arizona audit. There's a lot going on with the Arizona audit. And, you know, I was listening to In the Matrix, actually, and uh, they really put out some really good stuff, uh, some timely stuff that was very, very good. Um, one of the things we talked about yesterday, before we move on, one of the things we talked about yesterday was we talked about all the money that's being given out. It's impacting summer jobs. People aren't going to work on these summer jobs because they're making more money getting handouts from the government. Let's take a listen. It's very difficult to get people to come back to work. Tom Pullman manages the Golden Nugget Casino in Atlantic City. We're seeing people just choosing not to come back to work because they're making more money staying at home. With added unemployment benefits because of the pandemic, millions of Americans are receiving about $600 a week or about $15 an hour. That's what a lot of typical summer jobs pay. The Golden Nugget wants to hire 150 people. If you can't fill half of those positions, what will that mean? We need people to clean rooms. We need people to serve guests. But unfortunately, it's going to impact the guest experience. For travelers heading to summer hotspots, it could also mean higher prices, limited hours, and fewer services. A similar story playing out nationwide. In fact, more than 40% of small business owners say they can't fill open positions. To get those needed workers, businesses are offering higher wages, signing bonuses, free housing, even extra cash for getting vaccinated. It's very so you see, also one of our listeners uh, wrote in, says, in 1861, days before the War of Northern Aggression, the North was tariff- tariffing Southern goods. Vaccine passports are no different. It's a se- se- separation, segregation. And, uh, you know, it's something we, we, we got we to gotta be aware of. All right. Another thing is... Uh, This article says um, the U.S. Navy seized thousands of Chinese Russian-made weapons in uh, North North Arabian Sea. That should give us all cause for concern. All right. So there is the latest uh, one that actually was played yesterday on the noon hours in the Matrix show. But... um, it came out, I think, after my show. But uh, in, in any case, it's no. Actually, yeah, I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it right now. 
All right, here we go. Hello, everyone. It is time for America's Audit Update. This is Kelly Ward. This is her latest one. We're going to play another one as well. From the Republican Party of Arizona, I am your chairwoman, Dr. Kelly Ward. Now, this update is going to be longer today because this is breaking information. You are going to find it shocking, so please watch it until the end. Today, we are going to explore the Maricopa County Big Router Lie. The argument that the Maricopa County election officials are making that accessing the routers would risk compromising the social security numbers, medical histories, and or law enforcement files is another big lie. Maricopa County had 2.1 million votes in 2020 and therefore requires a very large system to handle them. No software routers would be used, only hardware routers. Decades ago, hardware routers were expensive, but the price has fallen and many more capabilities have been added to those devices. Hardware routers are a separate, dedicated piece of equipment with fast networking and limited disk storage. Fast networking, limited disk storage. Only the rawest of rookie network technicians would install additional applications and data files on a router. In beginning classes, network technicians are trained not to install applications or data files on routers. They're trained that the router is a single purpose machine used to route, used to route packets of data. A router would never be used as a database server because the disk storage would not support a database server, especially for an entity as large as Maricopa County. Each application or data file installed would reduce the performance of the router. And guess what? Users want the routing to be as fast as possible. There is no danger when a forensic copy is made of the router hard drive. The certified forensic software programs start the router in single user mode without network capability enabled. This includes disabling any wide area networking capability. So without networking capability, there is no access to other servers or to other workstations. Even servers, network attached storage units, or workstations in the same physical rack are not accessible when in single user mode with networking disabled. The reason single user mode is used by the forensic software is to keep other computers from changing anything on the router. The forensic software will make a true copy, a true copy of the router disk. Now, while it's not necessary to unplug the network cables from the router ports for a certified forensic copy of the router to be made, a network technician could he or she could unplug them. With no physical connection to a network, it would be impossible, that's right, impossible, to access any other computer or storage unit. So Dominion Voting Systems has manuals, and those manuals describe configurations with Windows, database, and application servers, and network-attached storage. Databases are stored on the database server. 
the applications are, are stored on the application server. And the election data files are stored on the network attached storage. There is no discussion of storing applications or data files on a router in these manuals. For an election system to be certified, the election computer should not and cannot be shared with law enforcement and should not and cannot contain medical records. Law enforcement laws and regulations would prohibit storing law enforcement data on non-law enforcement computers or network attached storage. HIPAA is something I'm, I'm familiar with as a physician and HIPAA places stringent restrictions on disclosing medical information and it restricts medical information to non-election computers and network attached storage. Let me ask you this, has Maricopa County violated HIPAA laws? And if so, they are required to self-report. Between election cycles, the voting system should be stored in a secure location with no access except authorized election officials and supporting technical staff. That secure storage makes the election equipment unusable for daily use as is required for law enforcement, for human resources, or for medical personnel and for medical information. Hopefully, this clears up another big lie by Maricopa County attorneys. I thank you for tuning in. It is going to be a busy week. All right, so we're going to listen to one more, and here we go. Hello, everyone. It is time for the weekend update on America's Audit from the Republican Party of Arizona. I am your chairwoman, Dr. Kelly Ward. We expect quite a busy week for America's Audit, the first full hand count and forensic audit by a legislative body of the 2020 elections in our nation's history, but perhaps not the last. Here is our weekend look at where we are and on what's to come. As we reported on Friday, Maricopa County attorneys have admitted that the county didn't exactly turn over all of the equipment and all of the information provided for by the Arizona Senate subpoena and ordered by the Arizona courts. The county, on its own, decided to retain digital routers that they deemed had critical law enforcement data and individuals protected health information and social security numbers on them. <laughs> but that is in direct contrast to the words of the court ruling that the subpoenas are the equivalent of a court order requiring production of certain information. The county cannot, cannot avoid a subpoena based on statutes that require that the material being subpoenaed be kept confidential. <laughs> that means exactly what it says. But somehow the county chose not to comply. Now, we aren't arguing here that sensitive law enforcement information should be compromised in any way, shape, or form. But it certainly is not up to Maricopa County's attorneys to decide how to comply with a court order and choose what information they deem unacceptable or acceptable to release. Why is it that our very own government treats the citizens of Arizona as if we are on a need-to-know basis? 
Expect quick action this week as the Arizona Senate has demanded county attorneys produce the routers and any additional passwords to accounts that also seem to have been withheld despite the subpoena. Or they're going to see them in court. We're going to see them in court. If the information would indeed compromise law enforcement, I say let the courts decide how to proceed. The Arizona Senate has also moved quickly to put the Department of Justice on notice that the DOJ's concerns regarding security of the ballots and claims of possible minority voter intimidation were totally unfounded. Totally unfounded. Arizona Senate President Karen Fan responded to a threat of interference by Biden's partisan DOJ that the audit is being conducted in a manner that complies fully with the commands of the United States Constitution and and with federal and state civil rights laws. In short, thanks, but no thanks for your concern, DOJ, and the implied threat of bringing federal monitors to Arizona. Thanks for tuning in to our weekend update on America's Audit. So uh, there you go. And not only that, but I think that what they're trying to do is trying to create a conflict, create uh, to where then that would bring the federal government in. I think that they're trying to mess around with things in a way that would bring, allow, open up the doors for allowing the government, the federal government, to get involved. And then, of course, they would, they would corrupt the, the entire system. Chuck Grassley wrote this. He said... And this was just uh, May 8th he wrote this. He says, I can't believe all the hassle with the Arizona Senate just checking things out regarding the election audit. Makes me suspicious somebody has something to hide. Transparency brings accountability. And that's really all that the Republicans are asking for in Arizona and in Michigan and in New Hampshire and in Georgia and in Pennsylvania. There's efforts grassroots efforts going on all across the country in these battleground states that weren't even battleground, but they were fraudulent. And with that, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. My name is Scott Adams, and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye now. Town in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in DC, but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to their knees.